Welcome to the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup being brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. I'm Susan Littlefield. To say it was another interesting week again in this trade um, may have some shaking their heads. We saw some some new lows happening in the uh, new crop soybeans. We talk about the weather. Guys are anxious to get in the field and now we've got some freeze warnings and even snow talked about for areas of the eastern corn belt. Mother Nature is just not letting up for this year's crop, but maybe if she brings some moisture, uh, we'll all forgive her. We'll also take a look at the cattle on feed numbers that came out for a Friday, and we'll look at some global things happening as well. Stick around. We've got a lot on this week's episode. Imagine a future fueled by soy-based possibilities. A future where creativity and productivity live together under one roof. A future that takes you from point A to point B to point Z, all while ensuring brighter tomorrows for our next generation. A soy-based future? It's already here. Welcome back once again. As you can see, joining me, Sam Hudson. Sam is with Corn Belt Marketing and, of course, Alan Brugler with Brugler Marketing and Management. And Gentlemen, to say um, Mother Nature may have a, a stronghold yet on what we're seeing. So, Alan, I think we're going to start with you as there pops you up first. What are you hearing and seeing from folks as they look at the Eastern Corn Belt and wonder about this weather? Well, you've got a lot of different situations. Uh, some of my Ohio guys were saying that it was actually quite wet until about a month ago. Things had started to dry out. They, they were actually, uh, if they had a more clay-based soil, they were they were uh, actually hoping for just a little bit of moisture to loosen things up. The uh, uh, snow, obviously, is going to put them behind. Uh, you, you saw a lot more planting progress. Uh, southern Indiana, southern Illinois, Missouri was going gangbusters. But, uh, you know, some of those more northern guys, this is just putting them, putting them a little further behind where they'd like to be. Historically, we don't plant a lot of corn in April as far as the national percentage of completion. But, uh, of course, as the technology has changed and seed treatments and things have changed, we've, we've uh, tended to move that cycle up a little bit. Well, it's definitely been nice to see some of those pictures in the last couple of days popping up on social media of that new corn popping out of the ground. Uh, from a winter wheat perspective, areas of Oklahoma as well getting some needed moisture, but it might be a little bit too late. Yeah, they're not, uh, they're, they're, they are they're late. Some of the crop insurance adjusters are already out zeroing out some fields. I'm hearing from a lot of other producers saying, well, if we get an inch or so now and we get it some more and in two weeks, uh, you know, there's, that'll help quite a bit with what's still there. Uh, and that, and that statement extends all the way from Texas up into central Nebraska. Uh, but yeah, the, in the heart of the, the D4 drought, uh, some of that stuff's just too far gone. Sam, what about for your neck of the woods? First of all, there in the Eastern Corn Belt, you and I, when we were talking before we started the program, you got some snow possibly coming in for a Saturday into the weekend. And again, Mother Nature just not letting you guys get some field work done. That's right. You know, I don't think we're going to see anything, you know, accumulating here in central Illinois, but very similar to what uh, Alan alluded to. I mean, you get up uh, I-80 and north, there really hasn't been a whole lot done anyways, as is typical this time of year. Uh, usually got to wait till the first, second week of May to see some of the best planting windows anyways. But we have seen, you know, all the way through, you know, as far far west as, as Des Moines, back through central Illinois, southern Illinois, as Alan was referring to, uh, a lot of beans stuck in the ground, a good chunk of corn. 
Uh, I don't think you're going to have a lot at risk. There are some beans locally here that got stuck in really early that, uh, you know, could get nipped this weekend that are emerged. But I don't know that the volume of emerged beans out there is so large that we should you know, be concerned about it going into the weekend. The market certainly wasn't concerned about it. Uh, and, you know, the, the real crux, I think, is as we get into this early May time frame, if we can start shaping up temperatures, uh, and get you know folks in the field, it's going to eliminate any major initial fears on loss of planted area. And we're going to shift that narrative to, to yield DSE as we get into June. Well, I'm curious, I'm going to get both of your opinions on this, this drop, kind of a free fall, shall we say, happening in this grain complex. Sam, what's your take on what's been happening? Yeah, you know, we came into the week with some leftover concerns uh, about that spring weather that we've talked about. We've seen energy markets in the two weeks leading up to this week. Uh, you know, can uh, you know, rise or at least offer some stability after a surprise OPEC cut uh, several weeks back. But, uh, you know, since Wednesday, we just haven't been able to find any footing. We, we got that chance for rains in the plains. We really didn't see any uh, additional risk in the Black Sea with the situation going on there. We had energies falling, you had equities falling, uh, and you had option expiration here, uh, you know, going into to this Friday. And so it all played a role uh, to, to provide a lot of headwinds. And it's interesting to see uh, Chicago uh, corn uh, excuse me, Chicago wheat trade at the at parity with May corn here as we get into that option expiration and take that uh, off the board. If you rewind just a little over a year ago, you were trading, you know, over a $6 premium wheat to corn. And, and so the fact that we've taken all that off, I think is uh, pretty interesting to see. Alan, for you, what's your takeaway of this week's market trade? Well, I, I think we do have to recognize the, the, the story uh, about the uh, Brazilian beans coming into the United States. OK, uh, we, we'd heard about that a couple of weeks ago, that there were some cargoes being sold for delivery to the U.S. East Coast. Uh, one of the wire services gave us very detailed information on which which days next week they were leaving Brazil, which vessels they were on and, and so forth. So it's a real a real event. And historically, uh, it's not going to be a huge amount of, of volume, but it tends to break the, the rail bases to the East Coast and, and backs up into the into the central U.S. I think that the pressure on the old crop beans was because of this reality that that there's going to be some Brazilian beans coming into the U.S. And it, they work. They pencil because uh, Brazil's FOB prices are, are a buck and a half to a buck 80 a bushel lower than the U.S. offers out of the Gulf. It's just uh, extremely cheap there right now. They've got good reason for that. They've got a record crop and, and don't have enough storage. And they're 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 anxious to get that uh, some of those beans out of the country. So I, I think that's a story on the beans. The, uh, the, the wheat corn spread, I think, is another story. Uh, SRW is actually cheap enough to feed now uh, relative to corn. Now, that's not going to move into Oklahoma, Texas and the grain deficit area, but it, it could be a factor going into the southeast broiler and hog market. Well, I was in Washington, D.C. this past week, and not only did we have folks within the USDA that were talking about this, but also lawmakers that were bringing up concerns when they were talking uh, trade capabilities and workings. And I think it came down to lawmakers worried about China and Taiwan and the United States, knowing that Taiwan and the U.S. are trying to work together, but that China might be putting a little bit of extra pressure on Taiwan. Have Have you heard anything about that, Alan? Oh, China's putting... Uh a lot of pressure on Taiwan, but I, I think the the thing you have to remember is that they're, they're learning from the Russian-Ukraine situation that an outright invasion would be extremely expensive in, in terms of equipment, material, and, and people lost. And uh, I think they would much prefer to coerce this Taiwanese into voluntarily or semi-voluntarily joining China. 
so I, I think you'll see a lot of, of movement that way. In Chinese, there's a term for it called United Front, uh, which is trying to put pressure on Taiwan from all directions, but both internally and externally, both trade and political, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, now, yeah, is that a big deal for us? Yes, because we are so dependent on, on China for our soybean exports and actually quite a few other ag items. Uh, their trade with China went over $40 billion uh, last year, mostly because prices were higher. Uh, volumes were similar to a couple of the recent years. But the point is, uh, yeah, if, if that really got to the point where, say, they were trying to put a blockade around Taiwan and we had to uh, either break the blockade or, or take countervailing measures against China on the trade front, uh, ag is going to get caught in the crossfire. Sam, we would think from a from a livestock perspective, they'd see the free fall we had in the grains this week and maybe have a temporary sigh of relief to some possible cheaper feeds. Well, it is. Then you look at the, the feeder price and maybe it all offsets. You know, I, I think we're going to continue to see kind of a bumpy, volatile ride there. And, you know, this feed narrative is just going to continue to carry on into the summer and even harvest again and determining what's going to be needed. Uh, you know, from corn, whether whether it's corn or wheat or grains in general, uh, really just what we're trying to figure out is how much grass is going to be available again. What's that mean as we you know look at herd expansion, herd sizes? We got cattle on feed report today. Um, you know, this is just going to be a, a talking point that I think really is a hinge point when you think about how tight cash grain has been. It really started in the West last year. It's still tight out there now, uh, regardless of futures prices and flat prices and what we're determining now as we get into spring weather. Um, but, you know, it looks like we're leaving Nebraska out of the bulk of the rain here over the next several weeks. And if we don't get anything by June 1st, you know, as I mentioned, we're shifting from a you know, potential concern about area to potential concern about where we're going to have our yield. Um, and I think that comes upon us pretty quick uh, you know, with all of this geopolitical situations, uh, you know, on top and, and amidst it. What about the ugliness of the struggle these hogs? I mean, they finished a Friday with some positive numbers, but this hog market's really had its struggles as well. Yeah, I think the only bright spot really this week was our export numbers pretty decent, but we just have not been able to find any traction for a couple of times over the last two or three weeks. Seemed like that cutout, uh, you know, in the lead hog index could maybe base a little bit until we see any momentum there. It's just hard to get a lot of optimism, but as you mentioned, uh, nice to see something green on the screen here to end the week. Well, you did talk about a, a Catalan fee report. Alan, as you look at those numbers, did you see any surprises? I think uh, the trade should be surprised that the, the feeder placements were as high as they were. Uh, we were only down 0.65% for the for the uh, year over year for placements. Uh, trade average guess was about 4% less. So uh, there were a lot more cattle going into the feedlots than what the average trade guess had, had indicated. Um, now, that didn't have as big of an effect on the overall uh, on feed number, we're down 4.4%. Trade was looking for five. So uh, that's it's a little closer that way. But if you look at the, the technical setup, uh, the market was rallying hard into the report. Uh, we were setting some life of contract highs this week and, and a little overbought technically. I think this is uh, probably caught us leaning the wrong way. Uh, one other thing that I did notice, I didn't have a whole lot of time to digest the report, but I noticed that the heifer ratio did drop a little bit. Okay, the percentage of the of the livestock in the feedlots that are heifers uh, had been 38 plus percent a year ago, and now it's 37.87. So that suggests maybe just a couple more heifers being held back to be mama cows. But of course, the, the cow herd has been down tremendously over the last two years. So 
it, it's not it's not by itself saying we're expanding cattle by any means. All right. Well, both of you, thank you for joining us this week. And as we always want to remind folks, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. And that's this week's Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup.